Welcome back to the Peace on the Parkway, where we are studying the fourth chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And last week, I suggested that the Merritt Parkway is a pretty good metaphor for our lives. Uh, the Merritt Parkway is on uh, the list of the top 10 most scenic roads in the United States, but the Merritt Parkway is also this collision between a reputation for calm and beauty and a reality of pressure and frustration and something else. Uh, that something else is uh, referenced in our theme for today, merge. Uh, that something else is conflict. Uh, the Merritt Parkway is like perfectly designed for merge conflict. Two narrow lanes with no shoulder so that uh, even the most minor accident means emerging from two lanes into one lane. So uh, last week, I was in construction merge. And so I, of course, uh, followed the instructions and got in the proper lane and was crawling at a snail's pace in line. And of course, the guy is gonna come and nose through all the cones and go right up to me and want me to let him in. <laughs> and there I have that decision to make. <laughs> Am I gonna go ahead and let him nose in saying, of course your time is much more valuable <laughs> than my time? Or am I gonna say, no, 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 not this time. I've been letting you push me around my whole life. <laughs> this is not that day. I am not going to let you in. And so I stay in that six-inch connection <laughs> to the bumper right in front of me, and then I get a chance to glance at that, <laughs> that bully trying to nose in, and there she is. <laughs> this old lady who can barely see above the steering wheel. Merge, that's our topic for today. Relational conflict and how I will never experience God's peace unless I stay on God's paths of resolving relational conflict. Some say, I don't sense God's promised peace in my life. What's wrong? What am I missing? Well, Jesus gives the answer when he says in Matthew chapter five, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The blessing of God's peace is upon his children who demonstrate they're his children by the way they show they've inherited the father's peacemaking power. But if I'm a child who refuses to make peace in my relationships, I end up sacrificing the full experience of God's peace in my life when I allow a treasured friendship to be buried under resentment and hurt, then I, I perpetuate this, this 
lack of peace in my life, when I allow a gaping relational wound between me and my son or my daughter or my mom or my dad or a brother or sister in Christ, I short circuit the peace that God wants to bring into my life. God longs for me to experience his peace. And so he pleads with me to make peace in my relationships. And God pleads through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in the Greek town of Philippi. Paul started this church. In the book of Acts chapter 16, we're told that one Saturday uh, outside of Philippi, uh, Paul went looking for a place to pray. And so he went down to a river. And there he found a group of women by the river, and they got in a conversation that went into a lengthy conversation, and Paul uh, ended up convincing these women that Jesus was the savior that they had been waiting for their whole lives. One woman is mentioned by name in Acts uh, 16, Lydia. Actually, uh, Lydia is more of a nickname because Lydia is a town, and the Greek nickname just means woman from Lydia. Anyway, Lydia was a wealthy homeowner, and she right there invited Paul and his missions team to stay at her house, and it is strongly implied that the church of Philippi was born and raised meeting in her home. Lydia, the first convert uh, of the church of Philippi. Uh, Acts also mentions another member of that church. Uh, Paul took the message of Jesus around Philippi and he was arrested and thrown into the jail in the town of Philippi. And uh, he was there with his uh, friend Silas. And Paul and Silas were beaten bloody and bruised and chained to the prison wall. But God sent an earthquake which rattled the prison doors right off their hinges and shook loose the shackles on Paul and Silas. And finding uh, the prisoners free, the Philippian jailer took his sword, afraid that he was gonna be executed for allowing prisoners to escape. And so he drew his sword and Paul stopped him and said, hey, Paul, uh, I, I'm Paul, Silas is here too, and uh, all the other prisoners, we're still here, so don't, don't kill yourself. And then Paul led this Philippian jailer to put his faith in Jesus. And the jailer brought uh, Paul and Silas back to his house. He cleaned their wounds. He fed them a meal. And in the process, the Philippian jailer shared the gospel that he just received with his wife. And together, they were joyfully baptized, declaring their faith in Jesus. And now, you've met some of the members of the church of Philippi who received this, this word from Paul in chapter four of Philippians, starting at verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. We studied that last time. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be like-minded in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, to help them since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Merge. 
Yodia and Syntyche are in the midst of a serious relational conflict. Who are Yodia and Syntyche? Well, one of the first commentaries ever written on Philippians was written by a fourth century scholar named Theodore of Mopsuesta. And he maintained that Syntyche was the Philippian jailer and Yodia was his wife. And that their marriage was so full of conflict that Paul is begging them to reconcile. Paul's letter, of course, would have been read out loud uh, in the church of Philippi. And can you imagine how quiet the ride home would have been with this Philippian jailer and his wife after church? Well, honey, you really did it this time. Now our marriage issue is in scripture for people to read for thousands and thousands. Kind of funny, but the truth is, uh, it wouldn't be funny at all for the Apostle Paul because he would experience this incredible heartbreaking pain that he needed to call back this couple from the brink of bitterness. And Paul would want to say to this jailer and his wife, don't you remember Don't you remember how God even shook the very earth so that you would receive his love and forgiveness? Don't you see how your inability to give love and forgiveness to each other as husband and wife is totally incompatible with what you have received in Christ in his gentle way? God is bringing these same questions to husbands and wives listening to me right now, who call themselves followers of Jesus, who sing the songs about how they have received God's love and forgiveness through Jesus, but who somehow refuse to extend the same love and forgiveness to their spouse, who somehow expect to experience the peace of God while refusing to make peace with their spouse. Tenderly, God is calling Christ followers who are listening to me right now to make peace, to make peace as husband and wife. It's a sincere call from God today. Even though Theodore's theory about the Philippian jailer is wrong. Theodore uh, apparently was using a Latin translation that obscured the fact that in Greek, Paul used feminine forms, making it clear that Iodia and Syntyche are both women. So old Ted of Mopsuesta was wrong. Uh, But who were Iodia and Syntyche? My Greek professor in college uh, was perhaps the most respected uh, commentator on the book of Philippians in the 20th century. And he concluded that Paul is addressing a conflict that involved Philippi's first convert, the woman nicknamed Lydia. My professor's research demonstrated that Syntyche was a popular name in that town of Lydia. And so along with many scholars today, my professor was convinced that Syntyche was Lydia, or Lydia was Syntyche. Whether or not my professor's right, you can decide, but uh, I got an A. That's all I care about. Uh, Now, what's clear is that Iodia and Syntyche were church leaders. 
And their conflict with each other was not only hurting each other, but it was hurting the body of Christ in Philippi. So with amazing word economy, the Apostle Paul calls them to make peace by giving them several peace points that are important for us. A, acknowledge the conflict. Did Paul want to address conflict and name names in his letter? No, of course not. Nobody likes conflict. But in love, Paul acknowledges the conflict as the necessary first step to making peace. Is there a hurt between you and somebody in your family? Are there hard feelings between you and somebody at school, or somebody at work, or uh, here at church? Don't wait. Make the first move. Start the peace process by acknowledging the conflict. B, bring the conversation to the person involved. Notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say, uh, Yodia, I want you to pull aside some people and tell them how Syntyche has been so unfair to you. And I want you to discuss uh, Syntyche's flaws so that those people can pray intelligently for her. Now, Paul does not say that. Instead, Paul pleads for Yodia and Syntyche to meet together. It's a simple principle that we violate all the time. It's so natural to engage in the peace-breaking habit of talking about the very person that we should be talking to. C, communicate your commitment to making peace. When Yodi and Syntyche got together, Paul told them what they should do. Paul calls them to commit to the process of being like-minded. Do you see what Paul's doing? Paul's stressing that they should not be concentrating on their differences, but on their commonalities. And so when you get together for a peace talk with that person you have a conflict with, put the other person at ease by communicating that you're not coming in order to dwell on past hurts, but you're coming committed to future Peace. And you can do this by stressing commonalities instead of differences by using I statements instead of you statements. Instead of saying, you lied to me, you gossiped about me, you hurt me, instead say something like, you know, I have some hurt feelings that I wonder if we could talk about. Or I felt unappreciated when this happened or uh, when this was said. You statements are accusatory and stress differences. I statements center on common feelings that the other person can identify with. Also, communicate commonality uh, by showing a commitment to attack the problem and not the person. When you have a conflict with somebody, you actually have something in common with that person. It's the conflict. The conflict can actually become productive if you choose to focus on attacking the problem and not the person. Uh, back some, some years ago now, I was sensing that uh, because my wife Jen kept 
the calendar for uh, my kids, like two kids, Jen had unintentionally created a family rhythm that was good for her schedule, but had kind of scheduled me out. Uh, it made it so that when I had free time, the kids were all doing different things. And it was one of those situations where it could have been us starting to accuse each other. But instead, we decided to start our weekly date night every week with open calendars to attack the problem and team up against the problem and not attack each other. Paul's peace points, A, B, C, doesn't end there. There's also a D and there's also an E. The E is engage a third party if necessary. That's what Paul recommends to Yodia and Syntyche, and it's also what Jesus taught. I love the consistency of scripture and how Jesus teaches Paul's peace points. Exactly, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if you have a conflict with a brother or sister, acknowledge it, go directly to him, and if you can't work it out alone, then engage a third, neutral third party to help. Now, let's go to D, uh, because that's really the heart of Paul's peace point. D, dialogue like-minded in the Lord. If I'm a follower of Jesus and I have a conflict with another follower of Jesus, I can choose to access a superpower that is dwelling inside me. And my conflict brother can access the superpower dwelling within him. It's a superpower to dialogue that is like-minded in the Lord. When Paul calls Yodia and Syntyche to like-mindedness, these two women knew exactly what he was talking about. That's because Paul uses this exact like-minded phraseology earlier, two chapters earlier in his letter. Paul uses this exact phraseology of like-mindedness uh, to demonstrate and to talk about and describe this special superpower that Christ's followers have to reconcile with each other in ways that people without Christ could never do. Listen to Paul. It's gonna be a long message from Paul, but it's so important. Listen in. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by, here's the trigger word, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with, with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue
lying acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These words describe why a Christ follower has a superpower to make peace when it seems impossible. Paul says, if then, if then, if you've received oneness in Christ, then you can merge with that brother who hurts you. If you've received love from Jesus, then you can give that love to resolve conflict with your sister. If God can humble himself to come to you in Jesus, then you can swallow your pride and make peace. If Jesus gives his lifeblood on the cross to give you forgiveness, then you can extend forgiveness to the one who you need to reconcile with. People, Paul says, believe Believers like Yodia and Syntyche and like you and like me, even if we disagree on the historical details of the conflict, even if we disagree on who's been hurt more or who deserves the bigger apology, we can be like-minded in the Lord, which means that we can agree. We can agree that we are both flawed, both broken, both sin-scarred people who are recipients of this unexpected undeserved grace that empowers us to make peace in the name of the peacemaker who died for us. That's what it means to be like-minded in the Lord. And that's why Christ-following people have a superpower for making peace when it seems impossible. A couple of decades ago, on uh, March 18th, A guy named Mark Furnham uh, robbed a bank in Colorado and sped away in his brown Chrysler. Uh, a police officer named Stephen Watt saw this uh, brown Chrysler, Mark Farnham, uh, speeding along the highway, and so Stephen Watt pulled him over. Stephen Watt had no idea that he had just pulled over a criminal and had no idea as he sat behind in his police cruiser, had no idea that the man in the car in front of him uh, had turned around and was pointing a gun out his back windshield and pulled the trigger. And it hit uh, Stephen Watt in the eye. And then Mark Furnham uh, took off. He was captured at a roadblock, arrested, sentenced to life in the Wyoming state penitentiary. Farnham uh, shot Watt in the eye. Miraculously, uh, Officer Watt survived, but he was deeply damaged. He was deeply damaged with chronic pain every day, but also with this unrelenting bitterness toward the guy who shot him like a dog. About this same time, Watt's wife, Marion, uh, came to Jesus, became a follower of Christ. And then Stephen went to church with her, and he received Jesus as his savior. But Stephen's rage continued until Marion said, Stephen, this can't go on. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you're following anger and rage. You need to forgive Mark Farnham. So Stephen agreed. And next, the next week, he went to Farnham's prison and discovered that the man who had shot him 
had since become a follower of Jesus himself. So Watt met Mark Farnham in a prison Bible study, told Mark Farnham who he was, and then gave the man who shot him a big hug. And uh, as soon as this happened, Farnham began to sob and began begging Watt for forgiveness over and over again. Not only did uh, Stephen Watt forgive his attacker, uh, but these new brothers in Christ became the best of friends. And about the same time, Stephen Watt was elected as a Wyoming state representative. Then in 2002, Representative Stephen Watt became a candidate for governor of the state of Wyoming. And a key plank in Watt's platform was that if elected, the first thing he would do would be to grant a pardon to his friend Mark Farnham, who shot him, left him with chronic pain and blind in one eye. And Stephen Watt lost his governor bid, but won the attention of thousands upon thousands who marveled at the peace that is possible in Jesus. Uh, Stephen uh, Watt led thousands upon thousands to the amazement of how Jesus empowers his people to overcome wounds that seem unhealable and make peace that seems impossible. And Stephen Watt and Mark Farnham are example of what Paul was calling Yodia and Syntyche to, like-mindedness in the Lord. And this is what God is calling me to. This is what God is calling you to when it comes to the person who needs your forgiveness and your attempt at reconciliation. That's all you can do. All you can do is attempt reconciliation. In this world of constant conflict, if you follow Jesus, you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be different because you follow the peacemaker who indwells you with his power for making peace when it seems impossible. You're called to be different with this kind of peacemaking power in your home, at your school, in your workplace, in your ministry, in your relationships here at church because as Christ followers with each other, we will have conflict with each other. That is inevitable. But we will not let conflict fester into disunity. That is unacceptable. It's unacceptable to the one we follow, who is the peacemaker. And through Jesus, we receive grace that we're empowered to give to each other. And as we make peace, as we give peace, we receive the peace of God. And as we follow the peacemaker, Jesus is lifted up here. And he draws seekers to him here who find peace on the parkway. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one. You are the one who makes peace. And there is no one like you. We pray now. When it comes to the place where we need to make peace, each one of us, Lord, we know the one that you've been talking to us about. And now, Lord, we hear your call. Give us now the infilling of your spirit once again to make peace. Even in the midst of the storm of conflict, 
calm the wind and the waves because Jesus, you are the peacemaker and there is no one like you. Amen. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.